Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Christopher C.J. Gross uh, talking to us. Hello. How are you doing, Christopher? Hey, Arash. I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm very excited about this conversation we're going to have today. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to it. Wonderful. So what I always like to start off with is with the toughest question. How would you briefly describe yourself for the audience here? What would you say? I would say I am a um, engineer professional turned diversity consulting consultant. Um, <laughs> that's it's important. It's important to know the first part because the way I approach this work is around a uh, kind of a process uh, from an engineer perspective and from an objective perspective. So that's the probably best way to describe myself. So I'm kind of scientist, would you say? Scientist of humans. Yep. Okay. Yep. Humans and That's the workplace. <laughs> humans in the workplace. That's the perfect way to describe it. Great. And we want to talk about your book. So your book is What's Your Zip yeah. Story? Understanding mm -hmm. and Overcoming Class Bias in the Workplace. Let's mm -hmm. dive into it. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I could I guess, tell you a little bit about it first. Um, this book comes from a conversation I had at the... Um, Society for Human Resource Management Inclusion Conference in 2019. Uh, this presentation was about class bias. It was on the very last day of a big conference at the very last hour. I didn't think anyone's gonna show up, uh, but to my surprise, 60 people showed up. And not only did they show up, they stayed the whole time and would not leave until the AV person turned the lights out and unplugged the microphone. And the reason why this was the case was because this was the first time they had been in a safe space where they could talk about some of their challenges that had nothing to do specifically with race or gender or sexual orientation, which is what we talk about in the diversity world quite a bit. It had things to do with um, what school you went to, uh, how much money your parents had, your last name, um, things that we, again, don't really talk about, but we identified eight class biases that prevent people from moving forward and upward within their organization. Um, and again, that we don't really talk about as it pertains to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is that's definitely true. I mean, the, the focus is on, on those things, as you're saying, like race and gender and so on, but where people come from, where people live is, is, is hugely mm -hmm. important too. So um, what would you say is, I mean, and diversity is kind of like people always talk about it and so on, but there's, there's so much more that we can do, so much more diverse that we can get, and um, especially mm -hmm. when we look at, at the workplace. So what are some of the challenges you'd say in terms of diversity at the workplace? place and what can we do about them? Sure. Some of the top challenges about uh, uh, diversity is that, like you mentioned, what, what do we call diversity? So let's mm -hmm. say, for example, we're only focusing on race. Um, I think we are undercutting our, our opportunities for advancement um, because there is a whole other world of diversity that um, supports or, or um, enables us from getting to the place that we want to um, move to in our in our companies. So just really breaking down what diversity is, what bias is, what it is not, and that it's not going anywhere. Um, and so as we educate people on diversity, on bias, and that it's not going anywhere, um, that would be the first part of it. 
And then the second part is to look at um, the system. So again, this goes back to my, my engineering um, background. The system will always produce what the system is designed to produce. So although we do diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, justice, accessibility conversations, mm -hmm. if you don't focus on the system and how the system produces what the system is designed to produce, we will never create opportunities for people who are marginalized uh, communities. Um, and so that's that's a big part of the of the challenge that we see in the workplace. And, and that is, you, you mentioned a great point here. I think with a diversity, often what we see is people are pushing diversity, but it's 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 a limited view of it. It's like it's their own part or it's just one part of it. And I, and yes. I really like what you're mentioning here because I, I, I feel like when, when that happens, I don't feel included and we want to be inclusive, right? right? So if, <laughs> if we want, right. want to have the diverse diversity, basically and not just part of it and i think that that is hugely important to not just you know have one's own interests of course that's important but also looking at the big picture in terms of having different voices and i i'm just like surprised that a lot of businesses don't appreciate that because when you have diversity to me, it seems common sense, but when you have diversity, you have all these different points of views. You have people with different perspectives, different ways of thinking, different cultures, different languages. Why don't you take advantage of it? And that's my question for you. Why do you think these businesses don't take advantage of it? At least instead, they, they settle on people that are very similar to their own views, and then that's it, you know, and they, they can't grow as a business, as an organization. Absolutely. So it's a um, great question. And it's one of the first things that we deal with, which is the brain science. Mm -hmm. So in Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he tells us that we have two systems in the brain. We have system one, which is our fast brain, which is where all our knee-jerk reactions live, or which is where our stories live about one another, which is where our um, past background experiences dictate what we do. This happens very quickly under the radar. And most of us are not aware of it. 99.9% .9 of our biases, we're not aware of. It's not intentional and we're not in control of it. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to making changes, our brains are per, pretty much still in, operating in survival mode or um, in a uh, reptilian way, mm -hmm. which is more about survival. Although we're not a hunter and gatherer society anymore, we still operate in that way. So the brain is designed, our bias is designed to keep us safe. So when change comes about, the brain will respond very much in a way to make sure that you stay safe or that you are not uncomfortable. So when it comes to hiring someone who is not like you or does not have a similar background as you, the brain will step in very quickly and to focus your attention on something that like, for example, what school that person went to, oh, they, go, they went to the school, this is the person I'm telling you, this is a great school. Uh, you know, this person's from this area, or you might like this person's, you know, something as simple as you might like this person's uh, personality, or they played rugby or golf or soccer or football, you know, which depends on which country you're from, you know, all these things create this, this bias. The goal is to really slow down the brain, be aware when you're in what's called fast brain and move to what um, Daniel Kahneman calls the slow brain. The slow brain is where we are able to mitigate our biases, where we are able to do what, um, they call it metacognition, which is thinking about our thinking. Yeah. Uh, that allows us to slow down and say, 
in our company, this is what we do. And we also teach other um, leaders to actually talk about your biases out loud. Even, yes. even check yes. this out, even when it's not, uh, you know, politically correct. And uncomfortable, you know? yeah. yeah. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. One of my colleagues, uh, we had a conversation, we hired some uh, interns. And I said, you know, mm, I'm not sure if I like this, this person as a potential candidate. And my uh, business partner said, well, why? I said, well, they're talking way too slow. He said, well, what does talking speed have to do with the actual requirements for the job? I couldn't answer it. And he said, well, tell me your story about this uh, pace of speaking. I said, well, when people talk slow, I believe they're gonna do work slow. And see, talking that out out loud mm -hmm. makes you aware that even though it sounds silly, it's happening behind the scenes. And if you're not willing to express these um, these biases, then you're not you're not going to do anything about it. So, for example, one guy said he's an engineer. He said, you know, I've been working in the trades for 35 years, and if I have a woman in charge that looks like my um, granddaughter, it's old enough to be my granddaughter or about the same age as my granddaughter. I feel like it's it's not appropriate. I feel like she can't do the job. I feel like she's going to be very emotional and sensitive. And the woman was in the room. And she said, well, tell me more, what, what, where's that coming from? And then he made the connection that his granddaughter is this way and he had to break the connection. So without talking about it out loud, we can't do anything about it. And she said, I appreciate you sharing that. And then uh, the conversation was totally different after that. So that's that's what we that's really That's really important. Do. I love this because that, that openness, but I think a lot of people also will see it as an attack. You know, and it's just take it personally and they go on the defensive. And then that conversation you talk about could turn out really bad. <laughs> Most of the time it does when you don't have a trained, um, skilled facilitator mm -hmm. uh, to have that conversation. I always tell clients, you know, do not have that conversation either if you do not feel like you have the skills, which most, most don't. Um, or if you we're don't have- We're not taught it, right? In, in all fairness, yeah. we're not taught those skills at school, at university, and so on. These are things that are a byproduct of life and observation and reflection. And Absolutely. some people don't even take the time and they don't have the time to do so. And I, I think unconscious, the unconscious is so important and it's great that it's coming into the discussion. I, I firmly believe in it. I, I love psychoanalysis. And for me, mm -hmm. that is something that is hugely important in terms of your relationships, what you choose for your career and so on, and your interactions with others. And just studies in psychology show you if you give the employer uh, a hot coffee, uh, and they hold it in their hand <laughs> while they're interviewing you, they have a more favorable and warmer impression of you than if they didn't. And so that scares me at the same time. What about my skills? What about the skills that I have if right. the person can be manipulated by a cup of coffee? My hot coffee. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, that's not surprising uh, at all because uh, the things that we actually uh, are drawn to have nothing to do with actually this person doing their job, right? And so think about the next time you go to the grocery store or to any store and you are walking down the aisle and you're looking at who you're going to have uh, ring you up or ring you out. We make judgments about their skills to get us out quickly. We make judgments about how much food is in the basket of the person in front of us and if they're using coupons or not. You know, I don't know if they call it that, you know, internationally. And we make a judgment and we decide whether we're going to go in that line or not. We make the same judgment about people when we look at their resumes 
-hmm. when we talk about, um, you know, if you have uh, 2.5 kids and I have 2.5 kids, oh, you have a dog, a Labrador, I have a lab, you know, our brain literally gets a dopamine shot when we have build these relationships and connections. And this is why it's so important to talk about the brain science, because we don't talk about the brain science. We're missing out on, I would say, 75 percent of what's actually going to move the, the needle to our diversity and inclusion and uh, work. And also the act of listening, because what, what happens is we have our assumptions, we have our answers. And uh, as I'm doing the interview, I have said, I'm thinking of what I'm going to ask you next. And then so that mm -hmm. way I'm missing out on the opportunity of actually listening to the other person, of pausing. I love the slow brain of like really mm -hmm. taking it in and then responding instead of jumping. Mm -hmm you know, immediately. And I, a lot of us are just like, don't like that pause too in between. And we just, uh, if there's a, an awkward silence, we just feel like, no, we have to fill it with, uh, with information. And looking at specific job interviews, one of my concerns is it's really a performance. How good are you at conversation regarding job matters, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really assess your skills. And right. when people get hired, people who are narcissists have a higher chance of getting the job than, than people who are honest. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And I think this becomes a challenge. Again, we worked in a oil and gas company up in Fort McMurray, uh, Canada. And what we found was that um, there was a big bias in the ability for um, their process to be inclusive of people who I'm going to call introverts, but not this is not true for all introverts. So I don't want to stereotype introverts. But we noticed that many introverts have they take more time to process the information. Mm -hmm. So if you're on camera mm -hmm. and you got three seconds, you see one, two, three, you have to now respond. You need more time in the process. That's not inclusive. And so we had to revamp that process and we had to revamp the process of how we gather information to decide who's going to be in leadership. So we might say, oh, Mike was really great because he was able or she was or that person was able to express themselves in a large group. Whereas another person could have come up with a better idea, but they didn't, they weren't afforded the time because they were introverted, which means that they may need more time to process the information, come up with the, and their analysis are better. Mm -hmm. So we're really, we're really missing out on great ideas and great innovation and all those things if we continue to do the same processes. So when we say, getting back to the, the first conversation, the, you know, the first um, dialogue we had, when we talk about diversity, we need to not leave out these other components of diversity because it is a, it is the foundation for how we operate um, as individuals and as leaders, and it leads to certain people, uh, you know, their boats rising to the top of the organization, um, and it continues to happen. So yeah, we need to really have conversations like this. Uh, and have uncomfortable conversations so that we can highlight the biases in our organizations. And, and we have a lot of assumptions about everything, like you're saying, I think that's definitely true about food. I, I don't like seafood. And so when yep. I see it, I immediately say no. And uh, I, I think the openness of like trying it out, you know, and saying, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out and see if it works out. But in, on a more serious level, I think we do have these assumptions, also stereotype threats. When you see somebody, mm -hmm. you already, where they live, what school they go mm -hmm. to, what they look mm -hmm. like, how they dress, mm -hmm. uh, sexual mm -hmm. uh, orientation, and so on. So all of these things, race as well, of course. Mm -hmm. And so that causes um, 
friction already because you have these these uh, threats about your own identity that you think the other person perceives and yes. you also have them about the other person it goes both ways both so ways. it it already is a, a place of friction so i mm-hmm. think it's really important for on both sides to relax and just say okay i want to give this a chance i want to be open to this conversation and listen actively mm-hmm. listen as you're saying that that slow brain to tap into that absolutely but let's go back to what you said earlier um, and mm-hmm. this is the major problem because if what i say is politically incorrect mm-hmm. i don't want to say it in front of people and i definitely don't want to say it to the person because they may take offense yeah. and if that's my supervisor or my direct um report I may find myself in um, in the office of the leader or HR professional saying, hey, you know, you shouldn't have said that. And you may be put on a PIP or you may be put in a situation where you have the union come in, a, a union um, uh, leader, um, and you're, not, you're now unable to lead that person without a third party in the room. So people are fearful of that happening. Mm-hmm. And if we be honest, most cultures and organizations are not set up. So have honest conversations like that to say, hey, I noticed we don't have any young people in leadership or we treat the people who are more seasoned, I like to say older, like they cannot use technology. Obviously there's some people who do not, um, but there are a lot of people who can and we make these assumptions and, and to say for a leader, and this is, the most, this is, I want the listeners to check, to kind of like lean into this conversation. If a leader was to say and be transparent and authentic to say, hey, I actually, um, have a bias or our organization have a bias against people who are older around technology because this just happened. Then people would say, oh, we can talk about this because the leader talked about it and he or she or they acknowledge that this happened. So everyone does not have to walk around and act like there's a 15,000 pound gorilla that does not exist, but that's destroying the whole culture of the organization. We need to have more of those conversations. Yeah, and uh, you're an uh, emotional intelligence coach, and I can see that just that answer proves it of being emotionally intelligent. And um, we need to foster that. It's it's the intelligence on its own, the academic intelligence, cognitive intelligence, mm-hmm. and so on, is just mm-hmm. not enough in the workplace, especially. Absolutely. And so, so what we see, and I've, I've had conversations with people who are from very good universities, who are highly intelligent, but they're not very interesting people and they're not very smart in my point of view. So, and they're good at one thing of getting those good grades, but apart from that, they're not good. And so when they get hired, they don't last a long time at the workplace because they don't have those uh, necessary skills to interact with others, that emotional intelligence. Absolutely, absolutely, totally agree with you. So how, how, how can we um, foster that and that kind of environment at the workplace? Because I find workplaces, they're, they're trying to protect their own system and they're, 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 they're very close-minded. I mean, they, we, we talk about mm-hmm. thinking outside of the box and we want innovation and so on. But when we look at it in terms as, as a scientist, as you would say, we mm-hmm. see that that's just not followed or it's just like lip service or buzzwords. But how can we truly become more open-minded in, in that sense, more flexible in terms of well, management organizations? Absolutely. It's, it starts with leadership. Leadership mm-hmm. drives culture and culture drives performance. So individual contributors and culture will follow what leadership does. 
So if you have a company, they could be doing a lot of the diversity work uh, in terms of um, programming initiatives. But if the leadership does not create a space of uh, a safe, a, a safe space, a space of safety, psychological safety, then people won't feel comfortable actually having those conversations. So what what companies have to do is they need to have a competency requirement for their leadership that has nothing to do with performance or uh, that level of intelligence. They need to have competencies around emotional intelligence and social intelligence, which is hard to measure. So they need someone to come in as a consultant, such as myself or someone who has experience in that social aspect to give assessment tools and other ways to measure uh, competencies around this. Because without social emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, cultural humility, uh, without that being a um, requirement, um, in terms of competency for leaders, you will not see more inclusive leaders. You will not see more uh, leaders who are um, emotionally intelligent because it's not being measured. Mm-hmm. So I love what um, what a lot of uh, consultants and leaders have said is that what is not measured um, does not uh, get done. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if you have if you keep hiring people based on their past experiences and not emotional intelligence, you're going to continue to have emotionally, um, non-emotionally intelligent workplaces. Mm-hmm. And those who are emotionally intelligent will leave a company and they will go to the competitors, which, which then cost your company uh, in two ways. One, you're losing organizational talent. You're also losing... Um, um, motivation and morale uh, but at the end of the day for every hundred dollars that you spend on an employee's um, salary you have to spend a third of that to replace them in attrition mm-hmm. um, and so and also innovation so this also affects innovation people who trust communicate people who communicate share ideas when more ideas are shared innovation and creativity goes up when innovation and creativity goes up Products and services become more innovative. When those ha- when that happens, your company will gain more market share. Obviously, when you gain more market share, you are able to um, increase your revenue, but also become an industry leader. So all of everything that we just talked about has everything to do with the business objectives. And there is a business case for this. And I just uh, laid it out there. In many ways, I find leadership starts from within. So the person has to have confidence, have to believe in themselves. And a lot of the people that are supposedly leaders don't have that. And you can sense it. And it's because uh, the impression is leaders will like push you to to do something. But instead, they should inspire you. They should be a role model and work as a team. And many people say they know that and that's probably again the the other part of the brain is like yeah i know that and let's move on but they don't stop to really focus on that and really make sure deal with their own insecurities because i can see uh, a lot of leaders who are insecure and they're afraid that the others might take away might take away credit or might take over their position and that is not how a team works a team works as as a as a unit and each person's success will help the team, but we don't have that mindset in many cases. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the thing, one thing you said was, was critical is how do we develop, uh, you know, leaders? we don't have to just look at our leaders and say, hey, you're not emotionally intelligent. We've got to fire you or terminate you or move you, demote you. Um, it really is about providing programs that are not surface level leadership programs. So at Ascension Worldwide, we've actually developed a retreat. And this retreat is not a PowerPoint by death retreat. It's a retreat that we take um, leaders out in out of the office space and out of the interior and into the woods sometimes mm-hmm. and do deep level work. And we talk about our past experiences and our fears, things that you're really not um, set up to do in the workplace. Uh, and we take them out for anywhere from two days to four days. Uh, we have them go through this process. And what we find is that um, they are they are the catalyst for a more intelligent, so social plus emotional intelligent workplace. Uh, and the, the ROI on the training is exponential because of the type of experience that they get. And so without doing this type of work inter- internally in your company organization, it's unfortunate, but I'm gonna you know, say the truth is that the results will be marginal. Mm-hmm. For much of the diversity, much of the leadership work that companies are doing because they're not doing deep work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, re- it does really require a specific type of leader or um, consultant to help take organizations through this. I was told once, and this is, I think, very true. You can't take people where you're not willing to go or where you have never been yourself. So I was, I was uh, scuba diving off the coast of Africa um, and they had a scuba diver and everyone said, okay, I trust this scuba, I trust this person because he or she was able to dive at a certain level. So he's only taking 35 feet. So if, if they can go 100 feet, I'm definitely, you know, I'll put my life in their hands. So life, career, people don't want to put their career in someone's hands who's not articulating from their perspective and has not either been where they've been or are willing to go where that person is. That's true empathy. Without mm-hmm. that, it's really hard to lead. And, and also when it comes to promotion, to make sure that those who have those skills, that that's part of the deal. It's not just they're performing well, but it's like, Absolutely. okay, how are they with others? Do they have the additional skills? Do they have empathy, sensitivity? Right. And uh, that needs to be a part of the discussion as well, part of the evaluation, I think. Absolutely. I totally agree. The, uh, now, my, my assumption at the beginning was there would be some things that I would disagree with you, and I was ready to, <laughs> to pounce on it. And unfortunately, <laughs> sadly, I must say, I 100% agree with you. There's, there's nothing I would disagree with. So this is just <laughs> wonderful and uh, a bit unexpected because I was, uh, I was expecting some, some, a bit of uh, uncomfortable moments here. But uh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for your insights, your book, um, oh, uh, Your book is What's Your Zip Code Story? Understanding and Overcoming Class Bias in the Workplace. Um, such a delight talking to you. And thank you so much for being on Arash's World. Absolutely, Arash. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome uh, conversation. And I, uh, I, I'm excited for your readers to just be uh, you know, more aware of some of these opportunities within their leadership opportunities. They will be now, thanks to this conversation. Thanks so much. Awesome. Take care.